My name is Keith Beavers, and I'm Gen X, which is so Gen X. Just the term Gen X is so Gen X of the Gen X generation. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 26 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting director of Vine Pair. And hi, Napa, Sonoma, they get a lot of love and they deserve all the love they get. But there's this one place, it's huge, that we don't talk about enough. It's the central coast of California. The central coast is its own viticultural area. There's so much going on in there. We got to talk about it, break it down a little bit, figure it out. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Talbot Vineyards. At Talbot Vineyards, we focus on crafting estate-grown Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in Monterey County's Santa Lucia Highlands. Our celebrated Sleepy Hollow Vineyard is located in one of the coldest grape-growing climates in California, ideal for these two varieties. Here, the brisk wind and fog rolling off Monterey Bay create a long growing season, producing fruit-forward wines with spectacular acidity. We listen to Wine 101. We know what acidity is all about, right? Building on a nearly 40-year legacy of meticulous craftsmanship, Talbot continues to produce highly acclaimed wines of distinction. You know, when we think about American wine, I mean, we can admit this, right? We think about California first. I mean, just what we do. And then within California, we're basically thinking about Northern California, right? And we can admit that. And then within Northern California, we think of Napa first. Then we think of Sonoma. And then what else do we think about when we think about California? That's actually what we associate California wine with. But there's so much more going on in California, just north and south of those two famous wine regions. In the north, we also have like the Mendocino American Viticultural Area, which is great. Then we have the Clarksburg AVA. And they make great wine. We don't get to to talk about them enough. At some point, I'd like to talk about them. But it's south of San Francisco, guys. It's something's going on there that we have to talk about. It's been going on for a long time. It's the Central Coast American Viticultural Area, the Central Coast AVA. It stretches from south of San Francisco down to just south of, just south of Santa Barbara. That's 280 miles north to south along the California coastline and goes from the coastline inland about 60 miles. It's this huge, huge American Viticultural Area. And then inside this huge AVA are 28 AVAs that live within three counties and three mountain ranges in a bunch of valleys. And the climate and the soil and the geography is so diverse, it's very hard to generalize because you have a Pacific mountain range just south of San Francisco, actually forming the the ridge of San Francisco's peninsula called the Santa Cruz Mountains. And then south of that, you have another mountain range, Pacific mountain range called the Santa Lucia Mountains. That's where Big Sur is. Then east of that, across the Salinas Valley, which is literally the salad bowl of America. It's where all the produce is grown. You have the Gabilan mountain range, which is an inland mountain range, and it's kind of hot there. So you've got like... Desert, Pacific wetland, you've got elevation, you've got valleys, but on such a large scale. And grapes have been growing here for quite some time. I mean, earlier than the northern part of California, because 
this is the path of the Franciscan monks. They started in what is now Mexico and worked their way up all the way. I mean, well, it started in San Diego, really, and worked their, all the way up to Sonoma. So throughout the Central Coast, vines were grown. And yes, it was mostly the mission grape, but because of the proof of that pudding means that there's always been a focus of humans making wine in this area. And just like a lot of, you know, actually mostly all wine-growing regions in California and the United States, everything was going well until Prohibition happened, and then everything went bad, and then it had to be rebuilt and all this stuff. It's a, it's a very similar, very familiar story. But the, the Central Coast is more... What's really great about the Central Coast is is now, what's happening right now. And the the they've gotten... They've worked very hard in certain wine regions to get to this part, this place. And this is the most exciting time for wine regions in this area. Now, there are 28 of them, and I, again, will not go through all 28 of them, but there are certain ones that are very specific that you're going to see on, on wine shelves. And within this huge AVA is the largest AVA in California because Central Cal- Central Coast AVA is an AVA, but it's so big it's hard to be like, okay, it's an AVA. But there are there are more concentrated regions in there, and one of them, that big one is called Paso Robles, and we have to talk about that. So I'm going to kind of run around a little bit and talk to you about the Central Coast. Then we're going to end on Paso Robles to kind of give you a sense of this very exciting, very big, not very new <laughs> wine growing region. Okay, let me see if I can explain this. In the morning, on the, on the coast of California, a fog rolls in with some wind. And throughout the coastline of California are what are called wind gaps. And those wind gaps are funnels. And they, it's warm air draws the cool air from the Pacific into these areas, into these valleys, and cools the areas in these valleys. And that is really what defines a lot of what goes on in this part of California. And if it's not that, it's the elevation of the mountains that, they're, that these vineyards are in. And if it's not that, it's the cool nights in the warm areas that don't get the fog. It's just a very unique place. If you were to look at a satellite image time-lapsed of the morning fog that rolls into the entire 280-mile coastline of the Central Coast. It, you, you notice the fog coming from the Pacific, and it just rolls in through these wind gaps, and it gets as far as it can in, which is probably about 60 miles, inland. And then at some point, it sucks itself back out during the afternoon. And that cloud cover, that fog, will def- basically defines all the places the vineyards are grown in this part of California. In the northern part of the central coast, it's mostly coastal, Pacific-influenced wine-growing regions. And as you get south, the wine-growing regions move a little bit more inland to the more warmer regions. And those warmer regions are benefiting mostly from these fog tunnels, these wind gaps that are coming in, all the way down to Santa Barbara, which is a very unique place, because Santa Barbara is just like naturally perfect. I don't, it's hard to explain how beautiful and perfect Santa Barbara is. I mean, Oprah knows, right? But what's really unique is in these warmer southern inland 
wine growing regions, when the fog dissipates, it gets hot. I'm talking like 100 degrees, 95, like boom, it is immediately really hot. And then right when you're like, man, this is too hot, it immediately cools down. And then before you know it, you're at 50 degrees Fahrenheit. It's desert nights. So it's this very crazy place. We have fog in the morning that dissipates. It gets very hot and cools down. And no wonder, oh, that's right. Vines do very well in these situations. And not only that, this wine region has limestone in its soils going all the way up the coast, which is very unique to this area. And limestone is this amazing like gold for vine growers. It really helps the soil composition with draining and retaining. It's like the perfect catch and release. And what that does is these soils, even though there are some warm inland, like hot regions, but cool nights, that soil helps these vines retain their acidity. So whether you're benefiting from the fog and getting and retaining acidity that way with good fruit or whether you're at a good elevation or you're next to the the Pacific Ocean or whether you're inland even if you have a full-bodied red wine let's say like an inland like red wine even though it's going to be a big wine it's going to have this beautiful acidity there's a reason why in 1981 when Napa was became an AVA so too did the Santa Cruz mountain AVA just south of San Francisco because in that in those mountains two wines came out of those mountains that were also in the Judgment of Paris in 1976. The Ridge Winery which their Cabernet Sauvignon placed fifth in the competition and the Montebello Cabernet Sauvignon was called and then the David Bruce Winery which did a, they had a Chardonnay that came in 10th and the reason the French dug those wines in my opinion is because of the acidity. It was just it was balanced just south of the Santa Cruz Mountains is Monterey County. And I'm sure you've heard of Monterey, right? Monterey wine. And this is what, when people talk about the Central Coast, they often talk about two varieties, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. There's much more happening than those two varieties in the Central Coast. But Monterey Bay has defined its own style of not necessarily Chardonnay, but definitely Pinot Noir. This is one of those places where this is one of those sort of like wind and fog suppliers as a source of the Monterey Bay. And within Monterey County, which is an AVA, the Monterey County AVA, there are uh, four AVAs within it. There's Arroyo Seco, Carmel Valley, Shalone, and Santa Lucia Highlands in the, like in the, in the, in the foothills of the Santa Lucia mountain range. And, but the thing about Monterey County Pinot Noir is that it has, it is its own style of Pinot Noir. It's big and juicy and cherries and cinnamon, and it wants to be big and bold and full-bodied, but the acidity will not let it. It is one of the fleshier, kind of high-tone, deep Pinot Noir styles we have in the United States, and they're beautiful. They're awesome. The Chardonnay coming out of there is excellent as well. High acid, if they put oak on it, it's usually this kind of big, bold Chardonnay, but with like this clean, salty acidity in it. They're beautiful. And then all the way down south in the southern point of the Central Coast AVA is Santa Barbara County, which is another county that is influenced by the Pacific Ocean. Actually, a lot of the vineyards in Santa Barbara County hug the Pacific Coast. And here you have the Santa Maria Valley AVA, the Santa Inez Valley AVA, and the Santa Rita Hills AVA. There are others, but this is, these are the ones you're going to see on 
wine shelves mostly. It's going to say Santa Barbara County. Then it's going to have one of these AVAs. And this is another area that is, again, like influenced by the Pacific. A lot of the vineyards are sort of very close to the Pacific Ocean. And this is a very heavy Chardonnay, Pinot Noir place as well. And what's unique about this area is sometimes this place can get cooler than the foggy Russian River Valley or Los Carneros in the northern part of California because of the Pacific Ocean influence, which is kind of cool. This area is still being explored. It's actually where Sideways was filmed. It's beautiful there. I mean, the weather is, it might be some of the most perfect weather in America, this area. It's between Monterey County to the north and Santa Barbara County to the south. Right in the middle there is a county called San Luis Obispo. In this county, there's this kind of a newish AVA called York Mountain towards the coast. And then there's another one called Edna Valley, which you'll see Chardonnays say Edna Valley on them. And then there's one called Arroyo Grande Valley, which you don't see a lot of. But in this county, the largest AVA really in California is just sitting there in its awesomeness. And it doesn't get all the attention that I think it deserves. So let's talk about Paso Robles. In my view, the Paso Robles benefits from all of the climactic and geologic stuff <laughs> that this central coast thing has to offer. It is the one it, it is the region that has extreme coastal influence, but then it goes so far inland that it also has that sort of inland hot day cool night advantage. And within the 666,000 acres of this area, 26,000 acres of that with land under vine, all different kinds of grapes can be grown in this place. So in the morning, fog forms in the Monterey Bay, and then it's pulled through the Salinas Valley south towards Paso Robles. And that, that fog and that wind is protected by the, wet, on, uh, by the west by the Santa Lucia mountain range. So all this fog and all this wind rushes down into Paso. Now the thing is, this is the one AVA that has some very inland vineyards as well. So what's unique about this place is half of this um, AVA enjoys the fog and wind because the, 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 the fog and wind comes down into Paso and it starts rushing through these different passes called the Templeton Gap. And then throughout these areas, different vineyards are, 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 are planted to take advantage of this wind and fog. And then when you go over the Salinas River to the east, that fog does not influence these areas as much. But what's unique about these areas, like I said in the beginning of this episode, is that warm, hot days, cold desert nights, great soil, awesome acidity. So you get acidity on both sides, but with different varieties. And that's what makes this place very unique. They actually did a, a, some land and climate and soil studies, 
and they proposed 11 sub-AVAs within Paso alone. So Paso Robles is a sub-AVA of the Central Valley <laughs> AVA, but within Paso Robles, there are 11 other AVAs. And I wish I could do a whole thing on those, and I can't, but what's unique about them is it's, it's based on the Templeton Gap and in, in the different, all these different kind of just climactic and soil variations within Paso itself. And because of this, even though 39% or more of this area under Vine is Cabernet Sauvignon, there's some beautiful Cabernet Sauvignon coming out of Paso. Because of that, that sun, you get plush, huge, full-bodied cabs, but with great acidity, and they're not too heavy. They're very, kind of, they kind of define the weather and the soil of that area. But what also thrives here are white wine grapes that are usually found in the Rhone Valley of France, like Marsan, Roussan, Grenache Blanc, and red grapes from that area like Syrah and Grenache. And they're all these big, beautiful, bold, balanced, spicy wines for the reds and the floral honeyed wines for the whites. And, but they have such great acidity that they're not that heavy on the palate. It's, it's a very, very, it's very cool. And the thing about Paso, which is I find very unique more so than other AVAs in California, is that it's not just those list of grapes that I talked to you about. They do everything there. There are, there are people experimenting with grapes that, that have never really been played around with here in the United States. There's, a, there's an awesome white wine grape from the southern part of France called Pique Poule de Punay that makes very amazing, easy, quaffable white wines that go great with oysters. They're making great versions of that in Paso. There's an indigenous, native, ancient variety in Campania in, in Italy called Falangina. It's a beautiful white wine. They're making that in Paso. They're making Barbera. They're making Nebbiolo. They're, they're just... There is a lot going on in Paso. And what Paso Robles really says to me is it's one of those places where we can go there or we can drink wine from there because of its diversity. It's not a, a wine region that we go to for one grape. It's a wine, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place that we go to to enjoy the wines being made there that are awesome. And if you go to Paso, the community there is very cool. It's a it's an old school town, man. I mean, the guy the the town was was founded by two brothers called the Blackburn brothers and Jesse James's uncle. Isn't that crazy? And I don't I don't want to say it's like an out. It was always an outlaw place. It kind of has this like Wild West outlaw feel to it. But what I'm saying is, oh, also James Dean was speeding around here. Actually, he crashed. This is around the area where he crashed his car. But there's like this there's this rebellious heart and spirit to Paso in that it's about like, this is the wine we want to make and I hope you like it. And I, I really find that to be an awesome way of doing things. And I know other wine regions all across the country do this, but Paso is a big place. You know, it's, it's a significant wine growing region. And it just so happens that it has such varied terroir that it really is something that we should as American wine drinkers focus on because it is another one of these wine regions that we make wine in America that does something different and unique. At one point, you know, Napa wasn't known for, for Cabernet Sauvignon. It was known for Zinfandel. So was Sonoma. But when Cabernet got there, they realized these are the spots where it goes, it does well. And sure enough, Cabernet Sauvignon became the popular thing. With Paso, it's not just one grape, but what it is, is, is a celebration of different kinds of varietals that work. Because in America, you know, all, every grape we grow is from somewhere else. 
But when they fall, when a grape falls in love with a place, something special happens, and a human makes that happen. We see the result of that. Napa and Sonoma were big deals with that. I think Paso is one of those as well. But the only thing about Paso is it's not one variety. It's a bunch of varieties and a lot of great winemakers. You go downtown to Paso, you go have lunch, you see a bunch of winemakers hanging out together, talking about their harvest, talking about their ferment, all this stuff. It's a very cool place. Sorry, I went on a rant there. I, had, I wanted to focus on Paso because it is the largest AVA in the Central Coast. But again, a lot of great wine coming from all of these places in the Central Coast. And I think we should all kind of like focus a little bit and say, hey, Let's check out these places. I want to give a shout out to winemaker in the Central Coast, Cami Newton. We had an awesome conversation to get even more in-depth information of this ridiculously cool ABA. If you're digging what I'm doing, picking up what I'm putting down, go ahead and give me a rating on iTunes or tell your friends to subscribe. You can subscribe. If you like the title, go ahead and send a, you know, a review or something like that. But let's get this wine podcast up so everybody can learn about wine. Check me out on Instagram. It's at VinePearKeith. And also, you got to follow VinePear on Instagram, which is at VinePear. And don't forget to listen to the VinePear podcast, which is hosted by Erica, Adam, and Zach. It's a great deep dive into drinks culture every week. Now for some credits. How about that? Wine 101 is recorded and produced by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the VinePair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mellon. I also want to thank Danielle Grinberg for making the most legit Wine 101 logo. And I got to thank Darby Seaside for making this amazing song. I mean, listen to this epic stuff. And finally, I want to thank the Vine Pear staff for helping me learn more every day. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Talbot Vineyards. At Talbot Vineyards, we focus on crafting estate-grown Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in Monterey County's Santa Lucia Highlands. Our celebrated Sleepy Hollow Vineyard is located in one of the coldest grape-growing climates in California, ideal for these two varieties. Here, the brisk wind and fog rolling off Monterey Bay create a long growing season, producing fruit-forward wines with spectacular acidity. We listen to Wine 101. We know what acidity is all about, right? Building on a nearly 40-year legacy of meticulous craftsmanship, Talbot continues to produce highly acclaimed wines of distinction. 